0: Welcome to Farm to Tabor. Today I'm really excited to have a colleague on uh, Joe Swartz. Joe is a fourth generation farmer who did the thing. He started growing greenhouse vegetables about 30 years ago and been doing it ever since. And he now does a lot of training, assistance, and build projects for other farmers doing greenhouses through American hydroponics. People with Joe's depth of experience in running and living with greenhouses are pretty rare in the United States. So it's great to have him on with us on the show and take a chance to pick his brain. So uh, we have a lot of really good sustainable technologies out there that we know of, like greenhouses. They're widely used around the world, but not so much in the United States. So I think it'd be cool to talk about why that is and what are maybe some of the barriers that we have that are unique that we need to be aware of as we're trying to roll those out and use them more.
1: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is, is obviously the capital cost. Um, here in the United States, we have a lot of, of great farmland, um, a lot of multi-generational farms and large-scale farms. So there isn't as much of a pressing need as maybe in other regions of the world to kind of adopt newer farming technologies. Not not to say that um, our agricultural technologies, you know, all all types, from conventional field farming to controlled environment ag, all of those technologies are advancing. Quite rapidly, and, and growers are implementing a lot. But the 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 driver uh, of that, as we see you know, there is in other areas of the world where the climate is very harsh or where maybe economic uh, conditions exist um, that really kind of force growers' hands a little bit more to adopt some of the technologies, is not as prevalent here. Um, we still have a lot of great farm production. However, with that, a lot is changing, and growers and people from outside the industry as well are really seeing a lot of the value um, both economically as well as for food security and and, uh, food availability, the advantages of controlled environment agriculture. Uh, One of the other major challenges, though, that we see in the adoption of this technology is that... um, if you look at the industry, and, and I have people from outside the industry all the time that will start doing research on the internet or looking at trade publication, and they're just bombarded with so <laughs> many different levels of technology and so many different configurations. Rather than, um, you know, as a fourth generation farmer myself, and I've been a, a grower for 35 years now, um, I see technology as a tool. And, and whether that's a tractor, a shovel, uh, a screwdriver, or a computer, um, these are all tools with very, very specific purposes. And sometimes we tend to get uh, enamored with technologies. You know, oh, we see a, a growing system in a shipping container or an indoor vertical farm with lots of lighting and different material handling and environmental controls. And we kind of get hung up on technology. And so there's so much. Uh, noise in the industry. There's so many arguments and discussions about the technology, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's indoor vertical farms or what will save the world, or rooftop greenhouses, or shipping container farms, or even conventional greenhouses. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is that none of them are the answer, if you will. Mm-hmm. The, these are all different tools, whether we're talking about structures or environmental control systems. Um, a lot of the informational technology is new, is newer to agriculture in terms of advance. And all of these things are kind of thrown at people. And I really do think that that stifles some of the early or the quick adoption of a lot of the technologies. And, and unfortunately, a lot of things in agriculture are cyclical. I've been fortunate to be in the business long enough now to see some of these trends kind of repeat themselves. Uh, for example, <laughs> in the 1980s, we saw a great uh, development of the greenhouse hydroponics industry, uh, a lot of investment from companies like Warehouser Lumber and General Electric and Pepperidge Farms in these huge greenhouse facilities, and they were enamored with the technology. Mm-hmm. The local media and press were talking, and this is maybe mid nineteen eighties, and the press was talking about um, this is the farming of the future and by 1990 all of our food is going to be grown in greenhouses with these automated lettuce farms if you will and of
0: yeah, course that sounds familiar
1: a, it sounded <laughs> great
0: sounds familiar <laughs> is like, what yeah. it sounds yeah
1: but, but it does yeah and that's exactly right and, and we you know these these farms all failed absolutely spectacularly mm-hmm. and millions and millions of dollars were lost and it set the industry back,
0: you know, maybe 20 years. Right. And, and I, I want to get into something you mentioned uh, really quick before we go into maybe why and how that happened. Uh, you mentioned the term controlled environment agriculture. So that is just an umbrella term, I believe, for anything from greenhouses to rooftop, well, not rooftop farming unless it's undercover, uh, shade houses, hoop houses, indoor agriculture, anything where you're basically farming inside a structure. So that's just an umbrella term for all of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely correct. And and, and essentially, any time we're trying to control our physical environment, be it extend the seasons or grow year round, is, is absolutely many different types of controlled environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway, so carry on. So tell us more about what happened with this uh, this little eighties surge.
1: Oh, so basically, um, the the greenhouse technology was brought over from Holland and from Canada, and there was there were not enough experienced growers or management. And they were looking at the technology to provide the end result. That Mm -hmm. is, they were looking for these automated systems to grow lettuce or to grow tomatoes. And what they found out very, very quickly was that um, this is still horticulture, it's still Mm -hmm. farming. And technology does not take, you know, technology is a tool to make our work easier, to increase efficiencies, to increase productivity to uh, enhance our decision-making management skills. But it is not to replicate or to uh, substitute for growing. So, Mm -hmm. of course, they all failed. That destroyed any real investment. You know, in the late 1980s uh, through 1990s, we saw very little large-scale investment in agriculture uh, or controlled environment agriculture particularly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because of that. And, And people... Uh, many consumers were kind of soured on the hydroponic produce as well because mm-hmm. because a lot of nutritional management and growing management um, was not you know very prevalent or, or not well known.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I want I want to get back to yeah, and I want to get back to that in a minute. But um, really quick, I want to dig a little bit further into uh, the human side of things. I feel like something that's very consistent throughout any industry in the United States and and perhaps about the world, but I just live in the U.S., right? Um, Any industry in the U.S., they kind of view automation as a solution to any problem. And again, like you mentioned, it's just a tool. Why are we viewing it as the universal solution? And it really kind of comes down to, I think, people who own companies just hate having workers like they hate workers. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, you see that over and over. I mean, actually, the auto industry went through the same exact thing in the 80s. They were like, we're going to make fully automated car plants. And that didn't pan out for the exact reasons you name. You see a lot of optimism right now for, oh, we can just automate everything. It'll diagnose itself, it'll read symptoms and everything, but they don't realize sometimes your sensors get broken. Sometimes they tell you there's a problem, but you need a human to diagnose what the root cause is and troubleshoot. And when you're adding equipment that's supposed to do that for you, all you're really adding is another layer of equipment that can break and has to be troubleshooted and diagnosed. So it's not taking the people out of the equation. It just makes you need to have more and more qualified people. So in some ways it actually gets you... Um, having more difficult labor to source because you need more qualified people and you need to treat them better to stick around. And that's a huge problem in U.S. industry that I don't think any of them have figured out.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, being involved in the industry for a long time, you get to see trends. I mean, you know, over 100 years ago, Nikola Tesla, one of the most brilliant scientific minds of all time, warned against the use of technology as technology being a tool and not being a means in and of itself. And I think um, right now, um, Elon Musk has also made comments to having undervalued human Uh, involvement or human labor in his car manufacturing.
0: Yeah, he sure did that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and of course, uh, I've been criticized as being anti-technology, which I mean, the absolute opposite is true. You know, we are adopting with our systems and with our process. Adopting new technology every single day, and it's very exciting, Mm -hmm. but you have to understand what that technology is, Mm -hmm. what it's providing, what it does and what it doesn't do, and how to best use it. I always ask people, what tool is more effective, a a hammer or a screwdriver? And the the answer is, it depends on what job (laughs) you're trying to do or what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And so all of our controlled environment ag technology, Mm -hmm. be it lighting, structures, growing systems all need to be applied to what you know you have to ask yourself what am I looking for technology to do for me right and and then go uh, you know forward with that information rather than getting enthralled in a an indoor vertical farm system because it looks really cool and you know you think that maybe it's very, very productive when it really isn't. So it's an understanding of the technology that sometimes, or lack of understanding, that often gets us into trouble.
0: Right, yeah. So to take it down to earth a little bit, it's, you know, for example, like indoor farming is really cool. I've actually worked a lot indoor farming, and it's been really neat. Um, But depending on your local environment, how much solar load you have, um, what your water situation is like, what your land price situation is like, it may make more sense to go for a greenhouse, versus, you know, an indoor farm. And you have to kind of know what that dynamic looks like in order to choose. And uh, it depends on what crop you're going to grow, how you're gonna set up that building. And you may wanna keep a certain range of crops open, which means you have to know some things about the market outlook for those crops in that area and what to be flexible for. So there's a lot more to it than just going like, oh, I feel good about this technology. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. I have a farm in Massachusetts and we raise uh, crops hydroponically, we have an indoor vertical system in a warehouse that we do research on. We produce crops in the field utilizing, you know, simple field agriculture to raise beds, drip irrigation, all of these different techniques. And none of them is necessarily better than the other, mm-hmm. it's just different techniques for uh, a different use or
0: different application right yeah so i want to take it back to you kind of mentioned some nutrient management and other kind of horticultural technique issues that were still being ironed out in the 80s that caused people sour on hydroponics something you constantly hear is you know hydroponic tomatoes are terrible and that's not necessarily due to the hydroponics there's some other managing uh, management factors that go into that so i'd love to hear your take on what happened there
1: yeah, absolutely, and, and that, that's kind of a very interesting debate going on right now, especially in the organic uh, debate, whether yeah. hydroponics can be organic, and we start to get into all of these discussions about um, hydroponics versus soil, organic uh, field versus organic hydroponics, and all of these things. And, and what it comes down to, and for the most part, in terms of nutritional management is you know, how do you produce a plant that is, um, has the, the maximum nutritional value and the best flavor and the better, best texture profile? Mm-hmm. And all of those things are a function of, of three things it, it's the, the crop or cultivar. So, you know, every, a, a certain type of red leaf lettuce, for example has a certain genetic potential for Mm -hmm. nutritional content and what its flavor and texture are. They are also impacted very heavily by the physical environment, the temperature, the light, the amount of moisture, um, physical uh, influences like rain and wind. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is the nutritional management. This is kind of where people make this either favorable or unfavorable distinction with hydroponics versus soil is that, well, people will say, uh, uh, plants have a certain flavor because of the soil and mm-hmm. that's not true So, what it is is what does the soil provide the, the, yeah. the plant of course obviously we know about water moisture and nutrients of course but there is a whole um, microbial life that, that is happening in the soil people talk about well soil has beneficial microbes and you don't have that hydroponic system well that's that's not true I published and an article kind of on a, this
0: i <laughs> I wrote yeah. a whole article on this. We can put a link in, in, the, uh, exactly. in the notes.
1: Exactly, yeah. And, and so you well know that, that there is a whole, uh, you know, the, the beneficial microbes in the soil are breaking down nutrients, are helping stimulate plant uh, root growth, are helping um, metabolize waste products from the root systems. That is all going on in the properly run hydroponic system. There's mm-hmm. kind of a misnomer that hydroponics, you basically dump some fertilizer in water and then you're off to the races. And that, of course, again... oh, it uh, doesn't work like that you know. at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does not. And so so the microbial activity in, in, in a hydroponic system, we manage that through proper pH control, proper temperature and oxygenation. Mm-hmm. We also can, you know, add different materials to stimulate the, the growth of, of different microbes, but whether it's mycorrhizae, streptomyces, nitrobacter, nitrosomonas, all of these different uh, microbes that, that are thriving in soil also are thriving in a properly run hydroponic system. Yeah. And so the actual... It, we think of a hydroponic system really as a living, breathing thing, just <laughs> as the soil is. And, and that is, uh, you know, not really fully understood, both in terms of kind of the public perception, but even in the industry, Mm -hmm. even growers, uh, you know, will still, um, you know, have debates about, you know, what exactly hydroponics provides to a plant. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, early on, kind of going back to our discussion about the quality of some of the hydroponic produce that was kind of, you know, the, the hydroponic controlled environment ag industry has been here commercially in the United States for you know well over 50 years, mm-hmm. um, but has really only fairly recently become uh, more mainstream and widely adopted by consumers. And a lot of that is just based on the the, the learning curve, if you will,
0: yeah. in,
1: in properly managing the greenhouse or grow room environment, properly right. managing the nutritional uh, component and, and the microbial activity. So when we manage something outdoors in 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 say a field for example we we do have some control uh over what we uh how we manage that but we have much less so when we when we move indoors when we move to a controlled environment system we have a a greater level of control now that that offers some challenges because you can um, fail to provide the correct parameters and crop growth will suffer but on the flip side by properly managing it, you can grow plants with a much higher nutritional content, a better flavor profile. Yeah. Uh, grow crops that are free from insect and disease issues that you might see in, in a, a conventional system right. or a conventional setting.
0: Right. So, I think one of my, so, go ahead.
1: Oh, so I was just say, it's all really about the management. Yeah. And, and it's farming. Farming is farming is farming. And I always tell people, welcome to farming when you're getting into it.
0: <laughs> the and answer is always
1: technologies, it depends. <laughs> Yeah, the technology is great, but we're, we're farmers and we have to always remember that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the most interesting things about the, the hydroponics is sterile kind of mythos is it really comes out of the organic movement was really kind of born out of the level of knowledge that we had in the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's kind of when that philosophy was born that's the amount of scientific knowledge that was known at the time. And then they built this whole philosophy around it and sort of didn't keep reading the notes as we kept learning more about the soil. Um, yeah. So we, we actually do know quite a bit about the soil. It's kind of sold as like, it's this mystery we'll never understand. Uh, <laughs> false. Uh, there, there's a lot that we know about it now. And one of the interesting yeah. things that we've been able to learn is a lot of the, the quote unquote soil microbes that we're interested in and that really have a lot of interaction with the plants. Um, are the ones that grow on the plant roots. Like there's this kind of sheath around the roots. Um, yes. Yeah, roots have to be porous in order to get stuff out of the soil. But they also ooze some stuff back into the soil. There's some uh, you know, some sugars, okay. amino acids, like snot basically kind of comes out of the roots. Um, yep. And there's all these microbes that live off of that. They're basically symbionts living off of these plant exudates around the roots in this kind of very narrow sheath and uh so they're not eating anything in the soil they're living off of plant root exudates and uh you may run into this uh if you grow certain plants that tend to be really oozy in the roots in hydroponics um every once in a while if you really like bleach bomb your system you can get rid of those critters by accident and this root exudate will build up <laughs> and you just have like just snot gooing around in your system and uh, Oh, yeah. You have to really mess up your system to get that to happen. And just like the fact that you're running a hydroponic system that's not full of snotbergs tells you that there's a lot of stuff living in there, like breaking down the root goose. Um And they're having that symbiotic relationship with the plant and kind of having that, um, you know, kind of that, um, what do they call it, like growth regulation. And, and there's some signaling that goes on there. So that microbiotic uh, flora is there.
1: Absolutely, and and that is again, as you said, it is it is poorly understood, and and it is critically important to high quality crop growth. Yeah, and so understanding that, and it's and it's 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 similar to the flora in your intestinal system, and that if you are maintaining overall body health, if you are providing the proper nutrition and stimulating your immune system and all that, that that allows that to flourish and there is that symbiotic relationship between your body and these microbes and the when things get out of whack um, if there are deficiencies or toxicity that can negatively impact that and then of course it starts kind of a uh, a, a chain reaction, if you will, or a kind of a, a rolling disaster sometimes in, in your body. And the same thing with, within a growing system. Obviously, with a controlled environment system, we have a high le- higher level of control, but it, it requires careful management because, the, uh, as I said, the, the parameters that we're providing, whether it's nutrient solution, oxygenation, uh, proper pH levels, nutrient levels, uh, minimizing plant stress, all of those things go exactly to what you're saying, to, to this symbiotic um, relationship between the plants and the microbes that different things can throw it off. So when you are improperly managing the system, and that's, that's one of the things that we see a lot um, in terms of inexperienced growers is the, that understanding that we're trying to impart on them to, to be able to make sure we're providing all of those uh, parameters that um, enable this relationship to happen I mean right. we have a, I was a big believer in cleaning up systems and you know sterilizing channels between crops for many years and and I realized that as I learned I realized that was a mistake I and mean, we have we have growing systems now um that have been growing continually for I think we have one that's been growing for 19 years now without ever being cleaned out so <laughs> and again it goes to proper management but yeah
0: yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to let like sludge build up in there and you don't want to have like Correct. big chunks of debris, but you don't want to scrub off all the biofilms yeah.
1: either. Exactly. Yeah, you have to, there's, there's physical filtration and things like that that we want to remove. But usually when people call me and say, uh, I've got this really terrible buildup, I have algae in my system that's overwhelming, mm-hmm. I have this sludge, that, that first thing that, that, that we look at is there's some imbalance somewhere, there's mm-hmm. some mismanagement. So right. it's not the algae itself, it's not the sludge itself, it's what's going on in the system that's right. you know, telling us what's going
0: on. So it sounds like it's coming back down to human judgment.
1: <laughs> Most certainly it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of value in, you know, the, the work in artificial intelligence, in data collection, but again, it, it requires, it's very, very dynamic and so it is a living, breathing thing. And yeah. it does require a lot, and and one of the things that I just wanted to mention is that we hear a lot with a lot of the different technologies, a lot of the, especially the indoor vertical farming and shipping container farming technologies, is that you know we can take the farmer out of the farm, mm-hmm. and I just think that that's a horrible thing from many different <laughs> levels. But mm-hmm. as as a lifelong farmer, I'm thinking you know we're talking about wanting to bring more young people into farming, and mm-hmm. and I know technology has done a great job of kind of luring young people into farming Mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is that to be a grower to be a farmer to be a horticulturalist it's an amazing and wonderful vocation Mm -hmm. and why we should discourage people from using or developing those growing skills you know is beyond me so that's something that's you know really it needs to be I think you know uh stressed in this industry that you know we need horticulturists we need new growers yeah and uh that's
0: a very valuable thing. Yeah, I, I find when talking to tech folks who are kind of trying to build that AI, they're really surprised what humans can actually do. I was like, um, I had I had this one research situation once. We were trying out an organic fungicide, and so we had to quantify how much disease was progressing on untreated versus treated plants. And I had to look at the leaves and go, okay, this leaf is X percent covered in lesions. And you always kind of wonder, am I doing this right? You know, it's just an eyeball guess. And at one point we actually came across a simulation program where the computer will make like a simulated leaf, you know, with a certain amount of lesion area covering it. And I was consistently getting it within one to 3% of the actual coverage, which is interesting. Like that's just with your eyeball. And that was with not extensive amounts of training. Um, There's a lot that the human eye can do that I think tech people don't expect to be possible. and <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: And even, even if you can replace that with sensors, the diagnosis and the troubleshooting still has to be done by people. Um, I mean, you can have, maybe if there's a certain problem, like my leaves are turning purple and they're not supposed to be. So there's, there's kind of your top three causes of that. But what is causing those top three causes? Like you do have, you have to do some root cause analysis. Like, okay, maybe there's not enough phosphorus. Why is that happening? Is there something wrong with my nutrient injector? Like that kind of thing. Like there, it's just too complex. And if you try and add a layer of machinery to do that troubleshooting for you, it's going to break because that's what machinery does. So now you have to troubleshoot the troubleshooter. It's just, you can't take, you can't fully remove humans from that. And I think it's kind of a silly goal to try.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: And that's part one of a two-parter with Joe Swartz, hydroponics coach and VP at American Hydroponics based in Arcade, California. Thanks for listening to Farm to Tabor. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and check us out on Patreon for bonus content. Stay tuned for part two. We'll talk about how bland hydroponic tomatoes are more of a people problem than a hydroponics problem and AI and robotics in the greenhouse. Catch you next time.